Hello and welcome to our worship for Palm Sunday, the 10th of April. Thank you for sharing this worship with us, with those who are reading it uh, on the service sheets we've distributed, and for those at Little Sutton who will be enjoying this as a live service. Well, we'll be enduring it as a live service at the very least. However you're joining us, we pray that God will bless you as we spend this time together. Here's a call to worship from Psalm 118, a song of victory. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His steadfast love endures forever. Let Israel say, his steadfast love endures forever. And as praise is rising to God all around the world today, let's join as we listen to and maybe join in with this song, Praise is Rising.
strength to face the day And in your presence all our fears are washed away Cause when we see you we find strength to face the day And in your presence all our fears are Let's pray. As the cheering crowds welcomed you on that Sunday 2,000 years ago, so Lord, we welcome you into our homes and into our hearts on this Palm Sunday. We welcome you because we recognise, even if only dimly, who you are. You are the God who saves us, worthy of all our praises. You are the one who makes all things new, the one who strengthens us day by day, the one who washes all our fears away. But we have to confess that we are like those cheering crowds in another way. We can so easily forget you and turn from you when circumstances change or when pressures come upon us. We are sorry that our faith falters and our love grows dim. Draw us back to you. Extend your kind hand of mercy and your strong arm of deliverance. In Jesus' name. Amen. The Lord's Prayer. 
our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory, for ever and ever. Amen. We're going to listen to the psalm for today, for Palm Sunday. Psalm 118. Psalm 118, verses 19 to 29. Open for me the gates of the righteous, I will enter and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord through which the righteous may enter. I will give you thanks for you answered me, you have become my salvation. The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this and it's marvellous in our eyes. The Lord has done it this very day. Let us rejoice today and be glad. Lord, save us. Lord, grant us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. From the house of the Lord, we bless you. The Lord is God, and he has made his light shine on us. With bows in hand, join in the festal procession up to the horns of the altar. You are my God, and I will praise you. You are my God, and I will exalt you. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. We're going to pick up the theme of that psalm as we sing an old song written by John Michael Talbot, about 40 years old, I guess, but wonderful words and very worshipful and very pertinent to what we're thinking about today. I will give thanks to thee. Oh, 
Now we hear the account of Jesus entering Jerusalem as king. Luke from Luke chapter 19 verses 28 to 40. After Jesus had said this, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. As he approached Bethphage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Say, the Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead went and found it just as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, why are you untying the colt? They replied, the Lord needs it. They brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt and put Jesus on it. As he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. When he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher! Rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. Graham Kendrick wrote this next song for a kind of public demonstration of marching to show that we are part of Jesus's church. Uh, you might remember that. The song is Make Way. For Christ the King. Make way, make way, make way, make way for the King of Kings. For the King of Kings. Make way, make way, make way, make way for the King of Kings. For the King of Kings. Make way, make way for Christ the King.
So Holy Week begins. Shrove Tuesday and Ash Wednesday, you remember, they mark the beginning of Lent and they start us thinking about the last days of Jesus. During this period, it's noticeable from the readings how we dodge around the Gospels a bit. We think about the temptations of Jesus, which took place right at the start of his ministry. We consider the presentation of the infant Jesus in the temple just after his birth. We move right on to Peter's confession of Jesus as the Messiah and a week later the transfiguration of Jesus on the mountaintop just a week before these events we're now thinking about. Each of these stories is connected to the looming image of the cross over the life of Jesus. The temptations before his ministry even begins he's offered a way out. Save yourself, forget about the world. Back at the time of his birth, Mary hears words of prophecy from Simeon about his purpose. My eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. And then the chilling words of Anna, and the sword will pierce your own soul too. Then we hear that Peter finally gets it after three years. This Jesus is the Messiah. But when Jesus begins describing the kind of Messiah, the suffering servant that Isaiah spoke about, he doesn't get it. Peter took him aside, it says, and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. And what does Jesus talk about with Moses and Elijah on the Mount of Transfiguration? They spoke about his departure, his exodus which he was about to bring to fulfilment at Jerusalem. In this way, the Lent readings show us the gradual unfolding of the purpose of Jesus entering our world. We see it associated with suffering. We see that it engages Jesus in a battle against evil, facing down the very devil of hell. We see that his death is not an accident or a heroic martyrdom, but a deliberate giving of his life, which, just as in the time of Moses, resulted in an exodus of his people from slavery to freedom, from death to life. And so, Jesus enters Jerusalem. Palm Sunday marks the beginning of the final stage of this journey. We see Jesus enter the city of Jerusalem at its most busy and crowded time, at the highly significant festival of Passover. Every word and action from now on until the following Sunday, the Resurrection Day, is significant. The Gospel writers emphasise different aspects, but the story they tell is clear. This is the focus. One third of the Gospels are devoted to the last week of Jesus. Now, if you ask most people outside and maybe even inside the church, they'd have little problem acknowledging Jesus as a great teacher. If we all followed his teaching, the world would be a better place. He's up there with Buddha and Confucius and Socrates and Gandhi and Martin Luther King. Great examples, wise teachers, worth listening to, inspirational even. 
Three of them at least came to sad and untimely ends by assassination or execution. In some ways their deaths added poignancy to their lives and made their words somehow more powerful. But that's all. With Jesus, it's a completely different case. His death was the purpose. That's evident in the Lent readings. Jesus knew who he was and knew why he had come. And the difficulty lay in enabling his followers to understand it. Two events from later in Holy Week illustrate this. After the Last Supper, Jesus washes his disciples' feet. But look at how John contextualises this action. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. John says that Jesus performed this action in the full knowledge of who he was. That the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. And then just afterwards in Gethsemane, here's the words of Jesus. My Father, if it's possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. In Isaiah and Jeremiah, we read the expression, the cup of God's wrath. As John the Baptist announced when he first saw Jesus, he was the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He was God's willing sacrifice. Through his teaching and his example, he shows us what real godly life looks like. Through his death, he rids us of the guilt and power of the ungodly lives we have lived. That's the context of the last week of Jesus' life. And it's in that light we need to read the events of the week. So what of Palm Sunday? We think first, of course, of the entry of Jesus into Jerusalem. But Luke's Gospel sets the scene for a second event which spills over into, Sunday, into Monday morning. Let's look at them both. First of all, Jesus enters Jerusalem. Now, of course, it was commonplace for kings, lords and returning heroes to enter cities in this kind of way, with cheering crowds acknowledging and welcoming them. They, of course, would be mounted on fine horses, accompanied probably by chariots and immaculate guards of honour. Jesus rode on a donkey. What does this tell us? Well, to state the obvious, first of all, he did ride into Jerusalem. It was a deliberate choice by Jesus to do this. He could have walked in like everybody else. Why ride? Well, it was a visual demonstration that he was a king. When Pilate challenges him, are you a king? Jesus doesn't deny it. He simply points out that he wasn't the kind of king that Pilate would recognise. And riding in on a donkey was showing the kind of king he was. He was a king of humility. To steal words from Graham Kendrick again, meekness and majesty united in one person. And he was clearly acting out an age-old prophecy. Zechariah chapter 9 verse 9 says this, Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. 
Shout, daughter Jerusalem, see your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly, and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Righteous, victorious, lowly. And then we think about the crowds who welcomed him. No doubt many were just carried away in the moment, but they were echoing the words we read earlier in Psalm 118. Lord, save us. Hosanna. Lord, grant us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. During his ministry, crowds followed Jesus everywhere, thousands at a time. They were awed by him. We read in Mark 12 that the large crowd was listening to him with delight. This is one of those places where for once I really like the old King James Version. It says, the common people heard him gladly. It was the ordinary people who really latched on to what Jesus was saying. It was a message that they could receive, understand and be blessed by. Yet these were the same crowds who five days later cried, crucify him. We need to be sure we aren't swayed by what's popular. We must have our hearts firmly set on what's right and be prepared to stand up to popular prejudices, particularly in days like these. Then Luke goes on to say, Jesus enters the temple. The incident of Jesus clearing the temple is very well known. I won't spend a lot of time on it now. But there are two important lessons that leap out. And as I said, it actually starts on the Sunday. First of all, Jesus didn't act on impulse. Sometimes when we look at this story, he's portrayed as kind of losing his rag, blowing up at what he saw. That would be way out of character. What actually happened was that on arrival in Jerusalem, after riding in on the donkey, he went to the temple, looked around, then left and returned to Bethany for the night. It was next morning when he cleared the temple. It was, as with all we've been talking about today, a considered and prophetic act. In what way was it prophetic? Well, the area he cleared was the outer court, the court of the Gentiles, the only area where non-Jews could come to seek God. But it had been colonised by traders, exchanging foreign money for temple coins to pay taxes, purchasing animals for sacrifice, and no doubt making lots of money from the gullible tourists. As he clears the court, he says this, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you've made it a den of robbers. Interestingly, Mark completes the quote from Isaiah, Isaiah 56. My house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations. This makes it even more pointed. By your trading, you are preventing all the nations from having the time and space and access to seek God. But for our own lives and our own churches, let's hear afresh what Jesus says. My house shall be called a house of prayer. We may not have turned our churches into robbers' dens, but what have we made them into? Social clubs, community centres, wedding venues? 
None of these things are wrong in themselves. Many people benefit greatly from the companionship and the service the churches offer to lonely and harassed people. But are we in danger of missing the central point of the church? As we struggle with declining numbers and declining commitments and as we seek God to understand what we should do, there's one immediate answer which he gives us. Let's turn our churches back into houses of prayer. And let's do the same with the houses of God, which are our bodies, the temples of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So let's pray. I'm going to leave some spaces for you to find your own words, but here are some of the things we need to keep before God. We pray for ourselves, that our faith will not fail, that our love will grow, that our joy will be complete, that we will know the peace that's beyond understanding. Lord, hear our prayer. We pray for our friends and family. We bring to mind particular needs. We pray for healing for those who are sick. We pray for comfort for those who have experienced loss. We pray for strength for those who are struggling. Lord, hear our prayer. We pray for the church. Christ loved the church and gave himself for it so we don't treat it lightly. We pray for those parts of the church which are growing and thriving that God will continue to bless them and keep them humble. We pray for those churches which are struggling and finding it difficult to keep going, that they will discern the way forward and know how they can continue to be a witness and grow in their faith, even in their hard times. Lord, hear our prayer. We pray for our communities, that God will open our eyes to the hungry, the poor, the lonely and the distressed, and that we will be Christ to them. Lord, hear our prayer. We pray for our country, for good governance and wise decision making, for integrity and compassion in our leaders. Lord, hear our prayer. We pray for the world. We remember especially the troubled areas, Ukraine and Russia, Syria, Yemen, Central and East Africa. We recognize the fear of famine in many places and we pray for peace and plenty where there is war and lack. Lord, 
hear these our prayers for the sake of your son Jesus Christ Amen we end our service with the great Palm Sunday hymn Ride on, ride on in majesty And a final blessing. As we enter into Holy Week, may our focus be on God. May our hearts cry out, Hosanna. May our feet follow in the steps of the lowly Jesus. May our lips speak truth and mercy. May our hands be the healing hands of Jesus and may we take up our cross and follow him. Amen.